This episode of Very Bad Words is brought to you by RX Bar. Hi, I'm Matt Fiddler, and you're listening to Very Bad Words. And this is Katrin Redfern. Hey, Matt. Now, Katrin's a podcast colleague of mine, and I brought her on the show to help me out for a very special reason. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And when you mentioned you were doing an episode on the C word, I was way into it. Um, I'm from England originally, where the word is much more accepted than it is here. And as you know, I'm pretty feminist friendly, so... I asked Katrin to join me today to help me out because of another woman that I met a few months ago. My name's Ella Stein, and I'm an advocate for the word cunt. Yes, I know, and it didn't really seem right to host a show on this word considering just how bad this word is to many people, especially Americans. Well, I first started looking at the word differently when I read Inga Muscio's book called Cunt when I was a young feminist. I just moved to New Orleans and I was living on Bourbon Street where there's a lot of, well, cunts on display in like half the windows on the street. And like a lot of women I've talked to, I'd never really liked any of the other words that are used for this important part of my anatomy. So the perspective that cunt was an ancient title of respect for women was intriguing to me. And I was just starting out deconstructing gender dynamics. And in the book, Inga calls on every woman to be the cunt-loving ruler of her sexual universe. And I thought, well, why not? Well, this line of thinking was pretty new to me, but it seemed to be exactly the same place Ella was coming from. So she was the first person to really explain cunt's origins to me. The word cunt comes linguistically, it's, it originates from positive words. It comes, it was used in ancient times, it was used in Rome. Uh, it was used, uh, it has Celtic origins, it was used in India, and it all comes from um, positive origins. It was used as a term for priestesses, goddesses, it was sort of generally a term of power. And really, if you look at the idea of like, why is the word so bad? I think this is what I was thinking about. I was like, why Why is it so bad to call someone a vagina? Like, why is it so bad to call someone a cunt? And it's all the word, all these connotations of power. And then, like, um, the word itself, if you say it, like, C-U-N-T, like, all those consonants, like, cunt, it's really powerful. And so my theory as to why it's so bad is it comes from misogyny. It's like, people cannot handle this idea of female and power being put together. Cunt power, but why cunt? I mean, why not vagina power? It's a better word than vagina. So the word vagina comes from the Latin origin for a sheaf or a sword. So what are the connotations of that? That's A, fucking awful. Um, then the next point is that vagina only refers to the birth canal. Whereas if you say penis or if you say dick, you're talking about the whole shebang. You're talking about the shaft, you're talking about the bell end, you're talking about the whole thing. Um, when you talk about vagina, you're only talking about a woman's ability to A, hold a penis, and B, reproduce. You're not talking about the clitoris, you're not talking about uh, anything that gives pleasure, anything other than that. When you say cunt, you're talking about the whole shebang. <laughs> like, it's more than just a baby maker, you know? So I, I, I don't think I've got a vagina. I think I've got a cunt. On this episode of Very Bad Words, Katrin Redford co-hosts with me as we take a new look 
at one of the most offensive words in the English language, cunt. You're listening to Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler, and with me is Katrin Redfern. You know who else would be really good to talk to about this? Who's that, Katrin? Nadia Tolakonikova. Hi, um, my name is Nadia. I'm from Pussy Riot. From Pussy Riot, the punk rock feminist group. Exactly. Uh, I like to refer to Pussy Riot as a movement. Uh, one of the, my main projects right now is to provide independent news to people in Russia. So we have our uh, independent resource, which is called Mediazona. She was at my studio, Be Electric, last week in Brooklyn to record a video focusing on violence against women. And I'm writing songs about feminism, about female power, and about witchcraft. And uh, my most recent song is about C-word, um, which is cunt. About cunt? It's an interesting word. I, I just made a song which is called uh, C-word. I think it's the strongest one because you're definitely not supposed to say this word. Uh, and I know as a Russian, we like to swear. And uh, I would just go down the street and they're like, cunt, cunt, cunt. And uh, my friends were super progressive left-wing activists. Uh, and they were like, uh, can you say not that loud, please? I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> so I, think I, I made my C-word song. I believe that we need to reclaim words that were taken from us, as it happened uh, with, uh, with the word queer. It, yeah, it used to be a derogatory word for gay people, and uh, so then they took it back, and, and they took it back so brilliantly. So now everybody wants to call themselves queer. I'm proud to call myself queer, and uh, so I think we need to do the same thing with cunt. Okay. Before we go into the idea that cunt is a better word than, say, vagina, I wanted to get a bit of history of this word. So I reached out to Dr. Evelyn Dean Olmsted, who is a linguistic anthropologist. That means I study the relationships between language, culture, and society. And my particular area of expertise is language and social identity, especially among minority groups in Latin America. And as part of this research, the topic of, of bad words, especially slurs, but other bad language, um, is pretty a pretty central topic. I thought that Dr. Dean Olmsted might shed some light on why some words are so offensive. And apparently just the sound of certain words are harsher to our ears than others. There's a lot of research on how certain sounds, not necessarily universally, but across a lot of languages, are have different associations. So sounds that are stops where you release a puff of air, like k, t, those words are associated with, with strength, basically. So it can be seen as a, just a stronger, more, more cutting, harsher word. And then I saw another, um, there's another interesting comparison of like adding an M before the, um, the stop sound can make it harder. Like step is not as harsh as stamp. So I imagine, you know, cut is harsh enough as it is. And then there's cunt, which sort of seems to give it a little more weight. I mean, you know, people weren't necessarily kind of thinking of these when the words were invented. But, you know, we have some of these unconscious associations with sounds and words. And it seems to me that that's uh, that that applies here. It's like this natural progression. If to make something stronger, people. Yeah, right. 
there's other other ones they do too, at least in English. I can't speak for all languages. Um, higher vowel, raised vowels, E sounds, you make them lower vowels, make them O or O or A sounds, and that makes them also sort of heavier or or denser. Yeah. Did you also get her to talk about Grope Cunt Lane? Oh, yes. We talked for nearly an hour about taboo language. And yes, she talked about the street named in England called Grope Cunt Lane. The Oxford English Dictionary documents it in the 1700s as a street name for a red light district that was called Gropacunta Lane, like pretty explicit about what it was for. And then there were a lot of documented usages of it being just like a medical term. You know, it appeared in medical um, books and things like that. And we know that the term Gropacunta Lane did mean that sex work was actually going on there because the other streets were named after the activities that took place there. So there were actually many grope cunt lanes in old England. And today, of course, grope cunt lanes don't exist at all. In the city of Oxford, for example, what was once called grope cunt lane is now called magpie lane. And it was named grope cunt lane a long time ago, perhaps before it was considered taboo. It was just a sexual word. So while we don't know if cunt was taboo at the time of naming of the street grope cunt lane for sure, it was most certainly taboo by the time Shakespeare was writing his plays. Shakespeare used it for um, definitely as kind of a bad word for, for punning and for humor and comedy in his works. In Hamlet, for example, when Ophelia tells Hamlet that, yes, he can lie in her lap, Hamlet puns in his response. Do you think I meant country matters? In Twelfth Night, Shakespeare finds a coded way to spell out the word when Malvolio recognizes his lady's quote, C's, her U's, and her T's. So in uh, Shakespeare's era, it was already a source of, of schoolboy humor, as it were. So while taboo enough to require some cloaking of the word, which probably had more to do with the cloaking of sex, not specifically the word cunt, it wasn't until the Victorian era that cunt became a really bad, dirty word. And then it started sort of going downhill or becoming worse or a process that linguists call pejoration. Um, there's this 1811 dictionary, The Vulgar Tongue. Francis Gross defined it as a nasty name for a nasty thing. And it talks about kind of the Victorian age, you know, late 19th, early 20th century when vulgar and obscene language was um, bodily parts language as opposed to just saying words related to religion, like swear words, you know, saying Christ or hell and things like that. Okay, so Matt, did you ask Evelyn why this happened to the word cunt? Because sex is pretty integral to our lives in one way or another, so we all should love the cunt. Yeah, seriously, and I did ask about that question. There's an overall phenomena that a lot of people have documented that words relating to women are more susceptible to pejoration over time. That is, their word takes on negative connotations. So it either goes from positive to negative or neutral to negative. Evelyn quoted some examples of these kinds of words that weren't negative at first. Words like hussy and mistress and uh, madam. And these things have like sexual connotations now. And they absolutely didn't. They used to be just totally neutral words for referring to different kinds of women. So it's really not surprising that the same thing has happened to cunt, that it started out as being more neutral and then it, it, um, it got worse over time. But cunt actually has positive origins, just like Ella said earlier. Yeah, right after I met Ella, the British woman at the beginning of the show, 
A friend sent me this web series called Kill Me Now, where Blythe is helping out her friend Julia write a follow-up letter after a job interview, and they're discussing how to close the letter. Okay, what about something uh, a little more exotic? Maybe like cheers or cheerio or like uh, safe travels, namaste, uh, bye-bye birdie, sent from my flip phone, catch me if you can. Oh, oh, love you, cunt. No, Julia, do not call this woman a cunt. We don't know if she's a feminist yet. And I was like, what? When I first heard this, I was like, wait a minute. Is this a thing? Haven't you ever heard of cunt power? I have, but obviously I didn't really get it. Even though I didn't know much about cunt power before researching this episode, some listeners of this show did, including Kristen from Baltimore. You mentioned it before, but it's such a feminist word. Um, Why shouldn't we be able to talk about how our bodies, however we really want to talk about them? And Kevin from England wrote us and said, among other things, I'm from England and we have a far more accepting relationship with all the profanities. I personally adore cunt, cunty, cuntish. Mixed with many other obscenities, it can become a bouquet of verbal imprecations. And the most profound statement about this word can be found from a listener who called in anonymously. Cunt is a word I love in context. It's, it's deep, it's luxurious, it's basic, it's instinctual. Animal, hero, cock and cunt, cock and cunt. They go together, they make things together, they make pleasure, they make love, they make life. They're sweaty and soft and hard. Cunt is my friend, my passionate, voracious, wise and witty friend. It's hanging and crisp, it's deep. It has a firm frame and a nice fuzzy pillow on top. It accepts, it gives, it yields, it pulls. Soft and strong, generous. Cunt is life, love, laughter, pleasure, connection, friendship, passion, wildness. Cunt is safety. Cunt is home. And that's how I feel about it. Thank you. And thank you for calling and writing into the show. We love getting your feedback. If you want to engage more with me in the show, leave us a voicemail at 331-BAD-WORD. We might put your voicemail on the air. And find us on Twitter, at Dirty Wordscast, Facebook, subscribe to us in iTunes, or just visit us on the web at verybadwords.com. We're going to take a really quick break and continue with our exploration of the word cunt with today's co-host, Katrin Redfern. Stick around. This is Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler. I'm here with Katrin Redfern. And she was just trying to explain something about cunt power to me. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. So while there may be some shock value to the term, it really has this whole other history where it harkens back to the true power of cunt as this ancient term, this word that embodies the whole of female sexuality, the whole of female anatomy, not just the cock holster or birth canal that the word vagina speaks to. Vagina actually means, in Latin, it means sheath, like of a sword. So it's basically defining women's genitals in terms of a kind of void, which needs to be defined in relation to a male. And I think the word cunt is much more sort of blunt to the point word here, which is expressive of 
utter femaleness. That's a former professor of mine, Dr. Camilla Power. I am a lecturer of anthropology at University of East London. I'm also a member of the Radical Anthropology Group, which researches the origins of human culture and is particularly interested in what women did to really create human culture. Human culture? Are you about to take me on a ride of some sort? Kind of, because to dig into Kant's positive origins is to dig into the origins of human symbolic culture itself. Language, art, ritual, and evidence from archaeology and anthropology really points to human culture as being created by women. Okay, so the word really does have ancient origins, and it's linguistically connected to other powerful, mystical words and concepts. You know, the range of its meanings because it connects to all these areas. It connects to kin, kinship. Um, it connects to cunning, thought, cognate, cognitive, um, knowing, knowledge. It connects to king, queen, country. All that is lying, it's lying right there at the back of it. It's got this incredible range, which is just saying, it's another way of saying it has roots in you know, really very old, very ritual and important religious concepts. Yeah, this kind of blew my mind. Cunt, a religious word? Yeah, so you need to go back to the human cultural revolution 100,000 or so years ago, when women needed to break up the alpha male structure that you still see in other primates, because it was making childcare provision too difficult. And from that, we have the hunter-gatherer societies that resulted That's the way we humans lived for 90% of our time on Earth, as hunter-gatherers without hierarchy based on gender, age, or ability, egalitarian with everyone entitled to an equal share. I've said that these African hunter-gatherer societies that have an intrinsic kind of gender egalitarianism, they are what's known as assertively egalitarian. It's not like it's written down on a piece of paper. These are oral societies. Not like everybody's got a guarantee of equal rights. What it is, is that everybody's always making sure that they get their fair share. And if everybody kind of does that, then they do get their fair share. And women and men have some separate roles, mainly in how they collect food. So women provide most of the calories for the tribe through foraging and gathering. And the men do the big game hunting, which is more sporadic in the food it provides. Both genders have a strong sense of their separate identity and the strength that they have by maintaining their solidarity, particularly women. The standard of hunter-gatherer society is that, okay, men do the hunting, or they tend to do certainly big game hunting. Women don't do that. They get the men to do it for them. Often what they'll do is actually they will beautify themselves. They'll make themselves up really gorgeous, paint themselves up, and they'll be very defiant They'll go up to the men with all kinds of taunts and songs saying, oh, there's no meat in the camp. Oh, we better eat penises. You know, so they're being very forthright and very sexual. And sometimes these kinds of behaviors will will be um, to get men to go hunt. So this is also part of women's kind of sexual freedom. They're making themselves very desirable to provoke the men to go to work. So sex and hunting are very intimately related But what you won't get is lots of sex happening before the hunt. And the men won't get any sex before hunting because otherwise, well, the hunting isn't going to happen, is it? So they were using their sexuality for the good of the tribe? 
Yep, and it's because women acted together in solidarity with each other that they were able to achieve a counterpower to men. And entrance into that female solidarity starts with first menstruation. Menstruation actually signifies the fact you aren't pregnant, which means you can become pregnant, which means from a point of view of, of males who are interested in finding fertile females, menstruation actually is a very powerful signal. And that's why we believe that the girl's first menstrual ceremony is a really important thing in hunter-gatherer symbolism. This initiation ceremony is a way of protecting and bonding with the young girl to show her that her tie to other women comes first before a man who might want to take her away from her support group and maybe get her pregnant. Part of the initiation is that all the women make themselves up to look like they're bleeding as well, so everybody's menstruating at the same time. It's like a picket line the women form together, telling the men, do not cross and they use ochre and, and other red pigments as part of the, the girl's first menstruation ceremony. Um, and it's, it's expressive of the girl's real power. She has an enormous potency when she's first menstruating. As long as all these ceremonies are observed, there will be great fertility. The world will be fertile, the animals will multiply, and the girl herself is identified as her body is like the body of the Eland bull. And there's all kinds of sacred um, stuff about the blood of the Eland and the blood of the girl. So her cunt, her menstrual blood, is the blood of this sacred animal. And it is occurring in a ritual where kind of everything is understood as transforming. Men, women, animals all transform into each other. And um, so it's a very magical, absolutely powerful and magical time. So when you say cunt, it's like it's bringing up the history of sexual power and sacredness. Yeah, and vagina just doesn't have that history, like Camilla said. The word cunt is much more sort of blunt to the point word here, which is expressive of utter femaleness. But it's also got a lot of power and ambiguity, which is relevant for this kind of ritual situation that I was just talking about. Because as I said, this girl's She's on a kind of strike. She's completely unavailable to any man at that point when she's in this ceremony. And I think, you know, the use of that very blunt, very four-letter word is expressive of this, that kind of female, complete, absolute autonomy in relation to men and ability to say no. So are you seeing the word cunt any differently now? Yeah, I mean... Looking at cunt as a feminist expression, and so perhaps cunt became a worse word as women lost their equal footing in society? When did society start becoming more patriarchal? Even though you can find some patriarchal relationships in hunter-gatherers, the real change comes with farming. So you can contrast what we would call Paleolithic is the old Stone Age, where everybody's basically hunter-gathering. And in the Paleolithic gender relations, I would expect a significant equality and significant sexual freedom for women. But with the Neolithic, that means the onset of farming, beginning of crops, the beginning of domestication of animals, that there will be an increasing control whereby wives belong to husbands, like permanently. Husbands keep hold of their wives. So then if men have crops, if men have land, if men are the ones who control the animals, the domestic animals, well, those patriarchs want to make sure that they're passing their 
crops and their animals down to their sons. And they want to make sure that it is actually their son. So that starts the business of making sure that the woman is absolutely faithful. The system becomes patrilineal. And with that, there will be the diabolization. So when you start to use epithets, these, these names like cunt, you start to use those because they represent like the old divinity that's now been overthrown and is no longer women's power. It starts to be turned right against them. And becoming identified with women's genitals becomes the worst possible insult that you can level. And that insult can be used against men too, to demean them and degrade them. So there will be this kind of diabolization. And the fact that that was originally a word of great power and taboo, or the concept was a matter of great power and taboo, that gives it a corresponding level of insult in the taboo. So that it becomes this kind of concept or word that you cannot say it in English without, or American English, without people being shocked. It's just, you know, it's awful. It's, it's something that's just a transgression. So even though it's a bad thing, it still carries all that power from its origins. Wow, that's a crazy history that I didn't expect to find in this word. Thanks for introducing me to Camilla Power, Catherine. My pleasure. Now, this really helps you make sense of what Ella said about it being a better word for the female genitalia, and also what Blythe wrote in her web series with her friend about the person needing to be a feminist to accept the word cunt. So I called her up to see if she really uses that word regularly in real life. I use the word cunt so often, usually to refer to myself in a derogatory way, like, I'm so sorry, I know I'm being so cunty, or like, I know I was a cunt about this before, but... Cunty, too. I like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's I use that a lot because I'm always being very cunty. Um, for me, it's like just a normal word. And I think I would be more offended if someone called me a bitch because that's like a word that people actually use all the time to be rude to women. Outside of its literal definition, what what is being cunty? I think I used it recently because someone said emojis and I was like, I don't want to be a cunt, but like the plural of emoji is emoji. So it's just like anything like that. Okay. So it's just like being obnoxious, being lame. Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that is just being cunty. It's just- Yeah. Just like when other people maybe would re- use the word bitch, like I'm being bitchy, I would just use being cunty. But I'm aware at the same time that it's a word that other people might take offense to. So whether she is doing this on purpose or not, Blythe is doing something very important when she reappropriates the word cunt. Here's Dr. Dean Olmsted again. And I didn't actually know this until you wrote me and then I, you know, did a little Googling and I didn't, I wasn't really aware that cunt was being kind of reappropriated. And so the, the opposite pro- semantic process is amelioration. Um, and that means when a word gets, you know, softer, loses negative connotations or loses force, And that happens with most curse words and most bad words eventually, just because, you know, they're very powerful. And so people start using them and then you use them so much that they lose their force Um, or they're consciously politically reappropriated. And this is the case with queer. And it was very consciously reappropriated by the LGBTQ community. So um, the same thing can certainly happen with cunt. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler. Thanks to the show's guests, Ella Stone, Blythe Roberts, Evelyn Dean Olmsted, Nadja from Pussy Riot, and Camilla Power. I want to give a special thanks to my co-producer on this episode, Katrin Redfern, and executive producer, Jill Fincher. Make sure you subscribe to each episode in iTunes, and please rate us as well. This really helps us out. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.